Hello, my dear Spilling Chai listeners. How is everybody? We are so excited to be back with season two. Thank you for giving Spilling Chai so much love and support. When we came up with the concept for Spilling Chai, it was meant to amplify brand girl magic, a hashtag that has really become a mantra in my life. And our guest today really embodies all the qualities of being a true badass woman of color. I am talking about Asha Rangappa, lawyer, senior lecturer at Yale University, and a legal and national security analyst for CNN. Rangappa was also a special agent in the New York division of the FBI, specializing in counterintelligence investigations, assessing threats to national security, conducting classified investigations on suspected foreign agents, and performing undercover work. Oh, and she completed the intense physical training required to join the FBI, even though she bruised her ribs from a car accident right before she began. Born in the U.S., Rangappa's parents immigrated from India under the 1965 Hart-Seller Act, a provision where the U.S. government was specifically looking for doctors. Her father is an anesthesiologist and worked at a Virginia Army base, while her mother was an accountant. Rangappa grew up in Virginia and graduated cum laude from Princeton University and was awarded a Fulbright scholarship to study constitutional reform in Bogota, Colombia. She received her law degree from Yale Law School. Rangappa has published op-eds in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, amongst many others, and she is our season two premiere guest. Hello and welcome to Spilling Chai, Asha. Your life and career, seriously, read like a dream blueprint for all Asian parents' ultimate hopes for their children. From beauty pageants to Yale to the FBI to Princeton to being a Fulbright scholar to being a CNN commentator, not in that order. And you also love to act and have performed in quite a few community theater productions. So what drives you? What motivates you to do the work that you do? That's a great question. And I think it's funny that you say that my trajectory is a dream one for South Asian parents because I think my parents were incredibly confused almost at every step. And I have always been drawn to the path less taken. I don't know if I'm just kind of a weird contrarian in that way, but I like doing things that other people haven't done, at least in my kind of immediate circle. So when my friends in college were applying to fellowships in England, I was like, I'll go to Bogota, Colombia. When I was graduating from law school and everybody was marching off to work for a law firm, I was like, well, I'll join the FBI. And I think I also just like exploring something new. And I've always been a bit of a risk taker. It's weird because I now teach and the generation of students that I teach are really, really risk averse. But I have always just had a certain confidence that as long as I pursued something that I was passionate about and excited about that it would all turn out okay in the end. And so there's never been kind of a big master plan. And I think as a result, I've ended up doing things that I never would have imagined when I was younger. Like so many people that grew up outside of America, for me, I was raised in Taka in Bangladesh. So American TV shows and movies really played a huge role in ingraining this idea in me about America being all about law and order, justice, legal systems that work. 
with everything Trump has taken us through, from Russia to Ukraine to impeachment to now encouraging people to vote twice, which is illegal, do you think America can still be considered a nation of laws? Wow. I think that the rule of law has always been kind of the one thing that the United States could really boast as something that was real. And in the sense that our Department of Justice went after the millionaires and they investigated presidents. And you just don't see that happening in other countries. These last three years has been, I think, especially for people who have worked in the Department of Justice, incredibly demoralizing because that pride, the idea that our Justice Department was the jewel in the crown of our federal government has just really been eroded. To answer your question, I don't know. At this moment, I don't think we are the role models for the rule of law at all. Do I think we can get that back? I think if Trump is not in office after this November with a lot of focus and work in terms of reestablishing the impartiality and credibility of the Justice Department, I think we can get back there. But we have really taken a blow. And I don't know that it would survive another four years for sure. Wow, that is really what it is at this point. So throughout your career, you have worked and gotten to know some of America's most iconic and important institutions the military, the courts, the FBI, alongside Princeton and Yale, some of America's most elite universities. Between the pandemic, a shattered economy, and racial tensions just boiling over, where do you see the country headed? Will America survive Trump? I think it can. And uh, you know, I'll draw on some of what I said in my last answer. It will take a lot of focus. I think that There was a point when, you know, I grew up during the Cold War when we were fighting the Soviets. And there was a sense that even across parties and policy differences, that we were united in our values against this outside enemy. And those values were things like the rule of law and freedom of the press and freedom of religion, for example. And that these things were what we were all proud of as Americans, regardless of who you voted for, what you thought about tax policy or whatever. I think that one of the things is the Trump administration doesn't really have policy ideas. Their entire platform now is just to divide. And so I think unless there is a broad coalition of people who just say, no, we want to return to a set of common principles and values that we all agree on so we can get back to that good time when we used to just debate policy. I think it's possible, but it will take the American people rejecting um, this idea of a strategy of division and pitting Americans against each other. I'm not sure if that will work because unfortunately, I think there are a lot of elected officials who find the strategy to be very effective. But I think we just have a choice at this point on which direction we want to go in. You describe yourself as a tiger-ish mom, (laughs) (laughs) which I love. And I just might steal that line from you. What is your favorite part about being a mother? Do your kids ever get away with anything? Like anything? (laughs) Well, it's hard for them. Their father is actually a current FBI agent. So they definitely probably get more scrutiny than maybe most kids their age in terms of what they're doing and what they're looking at online and all that kind of stuff. 
but they're really good kids. So I can't complain. My favorite thing, I love seeing them develop and what their interests and passions are. I think as a parent, it's always, you have to check yourself because you want them to be successful. And in some ways, you start projecting your own things that you would have liked to have done when you were their age. And it's just not what they want to do. And so kind of giving them the freedom to figure out who they are and what interests them. And I love seeing their coming of age a little bit politically and kind of taking an interest in world affairs. And they're also developing their own passions and hobbies. And I just love watching them, their personalities unfold that way. And I also want them to be good people. I want them to be kind and care about their fellow human beings. And I'm happy to say that so far, they seem to be on that track. So that's what's rewarding for me. What does Kamala Harris, such a badass woman of color, being on the VP ticket with Biden, what does that mean to you, especially for this moment in history? I mean, I think that it really embodies America continuing to reimagine itself and realize the aspirations on which it was founded. I think we can all agree that America isn't perfect in many ways in how those ideals that I mentioned before that we champion, we don't always realize in practice. But I do think what is unique about America is a way in which how the idea of America and who is American and what we represent kind of continues to evolve and become more inclusive. And for me, that's what Kamala Harris's nomination really represents to me. I mean, she's the immigrant experience. She's biracial. As a fellow South Asian, I'm sure you feel a lot of pride, as I do, that someone can achieve that level of success. And so I hope that she's an inspiration for others. And I think Hopefully one day we'll be not so surprised by something like this, but I just think that we're continuing to realize our values in actuality. It's such a moment of pride for South Asians, but it was so interesting how initially after Harris was picked as announced as Biden's VP pick, there was a real moment in the press where people were like, well, is she black or is she Indian? What is she? I even had a journalist friend ask me because they were debating this in her newsroom and her producers couldn't grasp that Kamala Harris is both. She's Black and Indian American. People are trying to put her in a box, but they don't understand how complex identity can be. Yeah, I mean, I think identity has a lot of different facets, right? There is how someone chooses to identify themselves, like how they think of themselves, how they experience the world. And that could be through the lens of one part of who they are, especially if that's the one that is how others respond to them, right? So I'm not surprised that Kamala Harris may think of herself as a Black American, because if that's how people see her, there are very unique ways in which, as we completely know, that Black Americans experience the world and how people treat them. I don't think that that takes away from the fact that she is half Indian. From what I understand, I don't think she's ever disavowed that. She's very proud of it. She's been to India. And I think that South Asians can rightly be very proud that someone who is the child of an Indian immigrant has made it regardless of how Kamala chooses to identify. I mean, I know my parents like totally claim her. <laughs> like They're like, yes, you know, I think we also need to get away from this idea that it's a zero sum game. My children are biracial and there are aspects of 
different identities that they have to integrate and I think resonate with them in different ways. It's incredibly complicated. And I think trying to reduce those experiences, especially as we're becoming more of a multiracial society, we're going to have to understand that there are going to be many different lenses and experiences that intersect in any given individual. I think it's hard for the media to understand that because they like to simplify as much as possible, as you know. But that's my take on it. I think if you look at an India abroad issue or something, they're probably all over Kamala. After 9-11, the FBI started making an effort towards diversity and inclusion, not just seeking out white males. You believe you were one of the first Indian-American female recruits in the FBI, and you were offered the job as a special agent, a 28-year-old brown, strict vegetarian woman in the white male-dominated FBI. What do you want to tell brown girls about thriving in the world as a woman of color? One thing I would say is somebody has to be the first. And so I think representation is so important, like I just said about Kamala Harris, like being this visible representation. But if Kamala Harris had been waiting for some signal that someone like her could do what she's done, we would just be all stagnant, right? So this kind of comes full circle to this idea of risk-taking. I think that certain institutions kind of perpetuate themselves because there's a certain amount of self-selection going on. The FBI does recruit very aggressively, but let's face it, Anshay, like I don't think South Asian families are like, hey, go join the FBI. That would be the best career for you. They're not. And I think that there are probably many kids who would be very nervous about pursuing that because they think quite apart from the composition of the FBI in and of itself, I think they wouldn't be sure that they would get the same kind of family support for that career path. So there is a certain amount of taking risks and just deciding that, yeah, there's going to be some baggage that comes with this um, because you're kind of breaking a mold. I will say that my experience in the FBI was that for all the naysayers, there were a lot of, I mean, all my mentors in the FBI, not surprisingly, were older white men. And they recognized that I had something to offer and they took me under their wing and they gave me new opportunities and really wanted to see me succeed. This was through the FBI Academy into the FBI. Also, I would say that precisely because I didn't fit the mold or the stereotype of what people consider an FBI agent, I actually got to do a lot of cool things because sometimes they need people that aren't going to raise antenna or be able to go and see things or do things without making people suspect that there's an FBI agent in the midst. So in that way, I think diversity is really important for national security. And there are people who recognize that. So that's what I would say to people who are nervous about entering into an area Either that maybe South Asians haven't really gone down so much or their family may not fully appreciate. Because I think the same thing could be said for journalism or other places where South Asians have made a lot of strides in the last decade or two. As America gets ready to vote this November, the country is tangibly divided across everything. To mask or not to mask, to social distance or not, But more than anything, we are increasingly divided over racial justice, which is why we need brown and black girl magic now more than ever. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Spilling Chai, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Don't forget to follow us on social at Spilling Chai Podcast. And until next time, let's keep brewing the chai.